going to end on a double doink. 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 Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. an idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea. And then, uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about anything. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. That's the idea. That's the result you're going to get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. Glad to have you with us on a terrible Tuesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Got to remind you, some people may think we're terrible. It's not a terrible Tuesday because we're terrible. It's because we get to vent our frustration, what we think is terrible. They do a pretty good job of clarifying that. I think you did a fair job. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> a fair it, was, it wasn't a terrible job. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest. We could do a terrible segment every day. This is There's true. enough terrible news in the world. I mean, we just usually hit on just the the the, the first thin layer of sports. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are going on all over the place that are just we don't even want to because we want to keep it kind of a light mood yeah but yeah, there's we, a lot of terrible things on this planet we know that we know that so we don't be too dark too deep too terrible but again terrible in the sense that you know that really irritates me that makes me sick yeah it's more of the venting which uh you know people love uh, the terrible tuesday yeah. segment and we all have kind of like here. you know the wt what the yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. All right. Like, is this real? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what uh, will not be terrible today. Our, our guest lineup today will be very, very strong. Liz Cambage, you'll be hearing from her. Uh, and I love talking to Liz. Liz is always fun. She is the effervescent soundbite. You never know what you're going to get out of Liz Cambage, but what you're normally going to get is the realness. And we're going to get that uh, today. Got a chance to talk with her after the shoot-around today as we get ready for the game tonight between the Aces and the Washington Mystics. And uh, with Liz talking about the Aces, the Olympic Games, which she desperately wanted to participate in but did not, and mental health. As we know, Liz Cambage has had a lot of mental health issues. She wasn't sure that she wanted to come to Las Vegas uh, when the... Aces wanted to bring her here. Didn't know if Las Vegas would be a good fit for her. She knew she didn't want to stay where she was. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. And, you know, there in Dallas, again, uh, a lot of people were pulling her a lot of different directions. She was the face of that franchise. She was the face of the country for women's basketball and as far as athletes in Australia. You know, her and Andrew Bogut. You know, Bogut on the men's side and Liz Cambage on the on the women's side. So, and she's participated in Olympic Games before, but it was not in the cards this time around um, because of some mental health issues, some strain she was going through, situations with the Australian uh, Olympic Federation. And uh, she's going to talk all about that today. So, going to be uh, some good stuff with uh, Liz Cambage. I want to see video of you and Liz going one on one, going down low. <laughs> I would just take her outside. I would just take her outside. But she but would go. She she would take you down low. Oh, yeah, and try yeah. To post you yeah. Up. She would back me down, and she would throw the elbows, and then she would give me that that look, and she would talk trash and <laughs> like that, and she would try to hook me. Oh yeah, she tried to get away with everything. Yeah. See, I wish we would, you and I had this conversation before I I talked with her because it then just I would popped say in that. my head now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you know, yeah. I mean, you're, you're still doing all the games for the regular yeah. season. You know, yeah. once the season ends, whether it's with that championship banner or whatever, yeah. I think that you should do a little thing right now and say, hey, at the end of the season, mm-hmm. you and me, bring a videographer and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let's get it on. See, I would prefer just to go game a horse because I'll dominate anybody in horse. Well, yeah, because you don't think she's got as good of an outside shot mm-hmm. as you. She's actually not bad from three. Well, she's probably Believe not bad, not. but, but you have confidence in yourself. Well, I, I haven't played in a long time, but, you know. Well, it's not I'm like assuming a, that between yeah. now and when it happens, you're going to warm up a little oh, yeah. bit. Yeah. Get your legs back under you. Yeah. I'll have Numbchuck out there, you know, like feeding me balls and everything. Yeah. Plus, plus in a game of horse, you're not going to have to feel those elbows. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's put that one in the docket. Let's work on that. That's that's good. Now, uh, Sam Gordon actually challenged me to a game of horse going back two seasons ago. And I, you know, I looked at him. It's like, because are, are you kidding me? I mean, so I saw him shooting around, and he's got the elbow out. He's threw in the line drives. He's got the bad rotation, the three quarter spin. I said, no problem. Let's go. But he goes, well, you know, I play every day. I go to you know the gym. I play every day. That's good. I mean, we're not talking about five and five. We're not talking ninety four feet. And I don't need to tell you what happened. You know, it was domination. Well, if you play every day, but you suck every day, it still doesn't mean that you're going to win a game. <laughs> I didn't say he sucked, but I'm just saying. I, I didn't know? say he does either because I, I didn't see him. But I'm saying the, the whole thing of I play every day. Yeah. You yeah. so what? Yeah. Charles Barkley plays golf almost every day. Have you seen his swing? <laughs> that would uh, be the clarification of sucking. No yeah, doubt. you know. So, I mean, there you go. Yeah. Just the old I play every day thing. So what? <laughs> Back to the guest lineup for today. Liz Cambage coming down here. At, uh, we'll have Liz Cambage at 2.30, so uh, that'll be some uh, good listening. Looking forward to that. And Nico Ali Walsh coming off his TKO first-round victory. He will join us at 3 o'clock. Looking forward to that. And as you know, we talked to Nico leading up to the fight last week, and he was uh, anticipating... You know, a great time. It all lived up to expectations. So now we'll get the post-fight conversation with Nico Ali Walsh and now get to relive what he went through at the uh, Hard Rock Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma on ESPN last Saturday night. Yeah, it'd be interesting, too, because I want to get his thoughts on, although they were talking about everything else going on here in, you know, in, the, in that boxing card and everything, mm-hmm. although he was just a four-round fight, he was all the talk of the card. And even though there was a really good rematch going on. And I can't remember, maybe the last time that I saw a four-rounder, a professional debut be like, say, the co-main event, was maybe Floyd Mayweather Jr. And I remember that at the Texas station going, you know, way back when. I'm not sure if that was the co-main or where it was on on that card. But, yeah, Nico Alley Walsh definitely is... uh, it got all the hype. And as we talked a little bit about yesterday with uh, Franco in Maloney 3, it, it, uh, I don't want to say it stole the show, but, I mean, it, w- it wasn't a contest. I mean, Nico Ali Walsh, Walsh, he was fighting Tomato Can, and we talked about that, and we knew it was just a matter of time before he disposed of the guy. And he disposed of him in the first round. and uh, But still, you know, the pre-fight interviews the pre-fight you know walk into the ring and the post-fight uh interviews and with flavor Flav and bob aaron lasted probably six times longer than the bout itself 
There was more talk about the shorts Nico was wearing than there was about the main event on the card. Right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so Nico Alley Walsh will join us. And uh, also, uh, Chris Denhart is uh, the founder and the executive director of Dugout Mugs, which is a very cool product that I've got a chance to dive into and endorse a little bit. And uh, so we'll talk to him about the story. It's a pretty interesting story. If you're not familiar with Dugout Mugs, I think you're going to enjoy our conversation later on today with Chris because they take a Louisville Slugger, a baseball bat, and turn it into drinking mugs. And they are the coolest thing. And I posted some pictures. I don't know if you've seen them before or not. But they have so many athletes, uh, current Major League Baseball players, as far as Hall of Famers, that are endorsing their product. And uh, it's it, it's pretty phenomenal. It's it's pretty ingenious idea, and there's a pretty cool story behind, uh, you know, how Chris got this company going and everything. And he actually happens to be in town with dugout mugs uh, th- this week here. So thought it'd be a good time to to give him a little plug and and talk about the story. But it's pretty cool. So does he have the Chris Bryant mug, which is endorsed by Bryce Harper, since he uses the Chris Bryant bat? <laughs> this is true, right? <laughs> right. I I don't think either one of those guys. <laughs> Are are on the endorsing list, but uh, you know our good friend Pete Rose has been doing it. Uh, Mariano Rivera, uh, Wade Boggs. I mean, the list kind of goes. Rivera is an interesting one. Yeah, for a relief pitcher that never batted, never really got up to the plate. Right, but he's got a mug out of the bat that he didn't use. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Ozzy Smith, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, I got them to make a a mug for Dusty Baker, and. Uh, you know, so I, I gave it to Dusty going back uh, this this past off season, and uh, they said, "Hey, can you get Dusty like to you know take a picture with it and this and that and and have him okay that we can use his picture?" And so and Dusty did it. It was no problem. So uh, yeah, I actually got to design that mug, which was kind of cool too because I wanted to give it to him as a present. And what I did is I got an old uh, photograph of him and Hank Aaron, and got to post uh, put that on the mug. And so I sent it to them at Dugout Mugs, and they put it together. And so I gave that to Dusty. So it was pretty cool. Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're saying it was easier to get Dusty to take a picture with the mug than it was to get a Dusty jersey out of Houston. <laughs> I, I got that done. Mission, mission accomplished. I didn't say you didn't get it done, but I'm saying you're saying that the one was easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, You didn't have to, like, double secret probation it and hide it in the luggage and that, and, like, you're, right. you know, like... You're one of those, you know, locked up abroad or something, right. leaving Houston right. with the with the contraband of a okay. jersey. So okay, now I'm gonna have to retell the story since you brought it up. People don't know what we're talking about. So yes, I asked Dusty for uh, an autographed uh, jersey as kind of a tradition for for my better half. And Dusty said, "Hey, he goes uh, um, because of the the lack of access that the media has down there." And he goes, hey, you've got to come on down, you know, basically by the camera well before the game, and I'll give it to you. He goes, but you can't let anybody see it. Dun, dun, yeah. Da, da, he goes, don't let dun, anybody see da, us. Da, da, because if somebody dun, sees me giving you this, they're all going to want this. He's had a lot of people hit him up. So I said, okay, that, 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 don't worry about it. He goes, well, no, i, I got to worry about it because i got to find a bag that is not clear to give it to you. So we had to have this timed out perfectly. Like, okay, so you come, come down right before the national anthem is, is, is going to be played. And then I'll pop my head out of the dugout. I'll give you the sign like he's going to the bullpen. I felt like a reliever coming out of the bullpen. 
because I was sitting about 10 or 12 rows back, so I had to make sure that I got done with my food tour, that I had my hot dog, that I already had it consumed, because I knew that, give or take, about 12 minutes before first pitch, I was going to be getting the signal to You were the, getting the call. I was getting the call. I was getting the call. So sure enough, I'm surveying the situation. I'm seeing if his head pops out of the dugout. And then sure enough, it was. And I see the trainer next to him. And I'm getting the call. I said, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming down the steps. Here I come. Be patient. And there it is. And, you know, people are, are looking. You know, people are sitting in the seats. And then all of a sudden, here comes a trainer going. And then as I, he hands me the bag, a Whole Foods bag, a brown paper Whole Foods bag. So, you know, it's brown. Can't see it. And then underneath, inside that, is a clear bag I guess, you know, from the Astros, the pro shop, whatever, with his jersey autographed inside. And it's all, like I said, you know, who, who knows? People are saying, what's this guy got there? Who knows what? And so I get it, put it under my my arm, and I walk immediately straight up. I want to go to the concourse and go, like, check it out and, you know, hide it or whatever. And as I'm doing that, as I'm walking away, I give Dusty the old Sammy Sosa, you know, look the... You know, two fingers, thank you very yeah. much. Touch your heart. Like, thank you very much. Look up to the sky. There you go. He Pay gives a me, little homage. He gives me the fist back. Boom, boom, boom. There you go. Make my way. And then the anthem's getting ready to be played. And I slyly look in the Whole Foods bag. And then I open the other bag. And I say, okay, it's all good. Put it away. And being smart because, you know, we had planned this, I brought in uh, one of those little tote bags. Actually, it's my UNLV tote bag that I got from UNLV a while back. And which was camouflaged. So I discarded the Whole Foods bag and took the plastic bag and threw it in with uh, my other clothing in in an Astro's hat. And there you go. No one knew the difference. And it's a good thing that it was Dusty popping out of the dugout because if it would have been Tom Cruise like Mission Impossible, (laughs) he's so short you wouldn't have seen him. (laughs) And you never would have got the jersey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Dusty clocking in at at six foot four, six four and a half. There you go. By by the way, this is five foot eight me saying that Tom Cruise is short. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because I'm amongst the land of the trees. (laughs) (sighs) I think that would qualify as a good intro to Terrible Tuesday. It's Terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right, I know Frank is our big UFC aficionado. Are you familiar with UFC fighter Jordan Williams? I'm not super familiar with him, but I, I know the name. I don't think anybody really is. I mean, this guy is he's only had two professional fights. He's actually 0-2 officially in the UFC, so I don't think anyone's really heard of the guy. Well, so well, and you might hear of him in Bellator or someplace else soon if he's 0-2 because exactly. Dana tends to not keep people that don't win or at least put on real entertaining fights. Correct. So Jordan Williams made more of a name for himself doing something else. So Jordan Williams stopped a man from stealing his car last Thursday, and gave him a quick MMA lesson in the process. Okay. So Williams left his car running, not a good idea, at a gas station, one of the convenience stores, right, in Denver. So he's in the parking lot, quickly goes in to buy himself a drink. Car's running. So as he exited the gas station, he witnessed a man climbing into the driver's side of his car and attempting to try to back it up. Now, Williams immediately ran to his car and then 
pulled the guy out of the driver's seat, grabbing him by his neck and his shoulder, and he's tussling with him in his own car. And the, his car is moving at this time? Or? Yeah, the, the car is moving. Okay. But the, I guess he had this uh, this thing where, you know, if you have the, the key in, in your possession, right, well, the car is going to stop moving. Okay. And so luckily for that, the guy was trying to figure, hey, how come I can't drive the car here, right? So it might be better if we just listen to Jordan Williams discuss it in his own words. Okay. What was going through my mind is uh, I got to get the door open. And as I'm running towards the car, you, Man, I wish that you guys could have seen the look on his face because he, the look on his face wasn't remorse at all. He was looking at me like, I got your car and this is happening. I was like, and, uh, no way. So I grabbed the door and opens a quick, a quick, like brief relief, uh, hits me like, yes, now you're mine. Um, I throw my belongings on the front seat, you know, cause I need those. I was getting, uh, I was running in, my blood sugar was low. So I was getting a sugary drink. Uh, uh, to raise my blood sugar. Then I, I so I throw the stuff on the front seat. I, I hit him a couple times, and then uh, yeah, then so um, at that point he's saying he's sorry, he's sorry. Uh, he was still in the car, so I threw some knees at him, and then I he he uh, he got out and he ran away. I didn't I didn't want to pursue him because you know like the main goal was to to get the package, receive my car. Man, whew. You got lucky, man. You, you got, I got lucky, and so did you. All right, life lesson learned here. Uh, come on, man. Turn off your car, plain and simple, especially if you're driving a nice car. You, you might, get, uh, might get carjacked. Well, you might get carjacked, but the other thing that I'm taking out of this is I didn't want to presume and that my blood sugar was low. So, okay, what's to stop this guy from trying it again? Okay, you save your car. What about the next guy who's not an MMA fighter? And by the way... I don't think you can petition Dana now. You're not going to be one and two as an MMA fighter because that wasn't a sanctioned fight. Right, exactly. Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> so Williams signed with UFC back in last September, and after a successful appearance in, in Dana White's Contender Series, uh, you know the guy now is officially zero and two in the UFC. But he's one and zero at the gas station. All right there, you go. Yeah, he's right. one and zero behind the wheel. That's it. <laughs> Of his own wheel. All right. Uh, I don't know if you saw the story about Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond, uh, been on the show uh, before, uh, signed a, a big contract here in the offseason. Well, Andre Drummond rescued his two-year-old son from his own swimming pool. Now, I saw a video of this, and I, I was a little bit disturbed about this. So there's a lady, and I don't know if it was the mother of the son, is sitting on the edge of the pool, and she's fully clothed. And then there is the two-year-old kid who is about six feet away from her standing on the edge of the pool. Okay, now this is a, you know in-ground pool, cement pond, as the Beverly Hillbillies would say, right? You know what I'm talking about. So the kid is on the edge of the pool. The kid just falls in. And the next thing you see, and this is from security footage at Andre Drummond's house, Andre comes flying in from the house on the edge of the breezeway, and then jumps in the pool, grabs the kid, and still the lady, the mom, whoever she is, is just still sitting there. And then she starts to stand up. So no supervision here whatsoever. My question is, A, why is Andre not, I don't want to bag on him too much here, but he's like in the breezeway, but far away from the kid. But why is this kid by himself on the edge of a pool? 
Well, I'm guessing Andre figured he was by the pool because he had supervision with the woman there. Then when he saw the kid fall in the pool, he realized that he didn't have that. So Andre, being aggressive like he is, crashed the glass, went to the boards, <laughs> saved the kid and got the rebound. Now, with the way that she reacted, he might be looking for another rebound because that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, a two-year-old around a pool? What the hell are you doing? And then, like you said, to nonchalantly just kind of get up like, oh, did you save the child? <laughs> no life jacket. No, nothing. I mean, again, the kid is standing right there. And if you are six feet away, you got to be wondering, like, uh, th- this could be danger time. And she's just like nonchalant, like, uh, the kid's not going to jump in the pool. Why would the kid jump in the pool? Well, the kid jumped in the pool. Well, he, he jumped or he fell. Yeah. But, however, right. he ended up in the pool. Yeah. Gee, a two-year-old on the edge of a pool, mesmerized by water, which looks so cooling and refreshing. What a shock <laughs> that it might end up in the pool. Pretty bad parenting. You say that Andre you know, went and crashed the glass, and he got the rebound, right? Well, it's a good thing that you know he didn't have possession there, that he didn't go ahead and, and go for the putback. That's a good thing. I'm just glad that they didn't have to go to a video review because <laughs> we still probably wouldn't know what happened. True. <laughs> well, I'm going to go back to your first story a little bit and go back to the UFC world because I don't know if you saw this one or not. Kat Zingano, who's a pretty successful female fighter, has fought for championships. Well, she claims now that she was offered a movie role by none other than Halle Berry. Wow. A pretty big movie coming up, a role that she was basically set up for. It's uh, it's called Bruised, I believe it is. It's a movie they're going to make about fighting and combat sports and things. So Kat was like, yeah, I'm definitely interested in it. And Hallie was like, okay, well, you know, we need to know if you want the movie or not. Well, around that time, the UFC called Kat Singano and offered her a big fight. So she called Hallie and she said, look, they've offered me a big fight. I kind of want to take it in that, but, uh, you know, I want to let you know that I'm going to be doing it. So she claims Halle Berry told her, well, you know, if you take the fight, our insurer and that can't guarantee that you're still going to have the movie because of insurance reasons and stuff like that. So I'm recommending that you don't take the fight. So Kat said she, you know, agonized over for a while. And finally she said, all right, I'm not going to take the fight. I'm going to do the movie because I really want to do the movie and look at some things after my career. So she let Dana White and the UFC know that she was turning on the fight. Dana said, okay, fine. You are now cut from the UFC. Wow. So Kat Singano let Halle Berry know that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in to do the movie in it, but it just cost me my UFC job, basically. She claims that Halle Berry told her, well, if you're not a UFC fighter, there's no role for you in the movie anymore. <laughs> so she now lost the fight. She claims she doesn't have the role in the movie. Halle won't return any of her calls or get back to her at all. She is now suing Halle Berry for promising her this role. It didn't happen. Now she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't have a UFC contract. She doesn't have the movie contract. So she's trying to sue Halle Berry. I don't know how this stuff works itself out. But it wasn't. It hasn't been a good week or so for Kat Zingano. She was over two on this uh, yeah, <laughs> transaction. Yeah, and, and apparently, because Kat Zingano is a big name. So okay. she probably had a pretty good payday there, but thought she was going to break into the movie thing. But... Oh, you're not a UFC fighter anymore? <laughs> then the rope's gone. Okay, I'm going to take uh, both sides of this here. Okay, first of all, if, you, if you're cat, I, I agree with her. It's like, okay, Dana White, I got a chance to, to do this movie. This fight's not going anywhere. I mean, I, I could take this fight anytime, right? 
Like really tight. Was it was it a title fight? Was it? Well, no, but it might have been a contender fight that okay. she could have got another title okay. shot. Or so something. anyway, it didn't say who the fight was with. Okay, she just said it was a very big right. fight. So I get that part. And then when you're going to Halle Berry, well, she committed to you. It sounds like you both you know committed to each other here. And so what if she got stripped of her or UFC contract or whatever? No one's even going to know that. They're going to know Cat Sangano is a UFC fighter, whether it's former UFC fighter or not, but probably better than anybody else that they're going to put. And she does have a name, like you say. So for me, there's something else going on here because you don't need to currently be in the UFC to actually be in this movie. You just need to play the role, which I'm sure she would do exceptionally well because she is a professional UFC fighter, professional mixed martial arts fighter. So to me, that makes no sense. There has to be something else going on. Or maybe did Dana and Hallie get together and say, hey, let's blackball this you-know-what. And who knows? I mean, has, has she had problems with Halle Berry in the past? Has she had problems with Dana White? But now if you're Dana White, I mean, come on, Dana. I mean, do you really got to cut her loose? I thought she was good for your promotion. Dana doesn't like people that turn down fights when he offers it to him. That's why when somebody gets a fight, when somebody gets an injury, and Dana says, hey, TC, will you step in and take this fight? And you go, I haven't had much of a training camp. Dana goes, okay, I'll remember that you weren't there for me. Dana would rather have somebody go in and take a fight on short notice even if they lose, he will remember that that person tried to help save his card. He will reward them down the road. Dana's not somebody that likes to be said no to. Yeah, I just, just think. And as this far as the Halle Berry out. thing goes, I'm, I'm sorry, and, and I feel for Katzengano, but if you're going to give up one payday, you better get something in writing or something to show that, okay, hey, if I give up this fight, I need a contract now that says that the movie's going on. Yeah, and that's what I was going. That was the other part I was going to say. She's got no legal recourse, in my opinion. She's got no legal recourse. I'm trying to sue, you know, Halle Berry. It's not going to happen because she didn't have a signed deal. She didn't have it, a signed deal. There's no recordings or right. nothing from their conversation. Yeah. Nothing that I know of. So again, I feel sorry for her if it's true. But you know, maybe it's an expensive lesson. But maybe lesson learned. Before you give up one thing, make sure you have the other. So what do you think? Does Dana White, do they get back together and say, hey, you know, let's let bygones be bygones and we'll get you back? I think Dana might do that. But Dana, being Dana, also might say, uh, go fight a fight in Bellator or Pro Fight League or something like that to show me again that you're worthy of being here. Because Dana's literally got almost every MMA fighter on the planet knocking down his door trying to get into UFC. And where would you rate Kat Sangano as far as... You she's know, certainly top, top five. She's, she's, she's certainly top five, top, right? She's top five, certainly, for her weight class and everything mm-hmm. there. Like I say, she's had championships fights. She hasn't quite got it done. I would say that she's kind of she's one of those barometers. If you can beat Kat Zingano, you might deserve a shot at the title. I don't know that she'll ever win the title, but, I mean, she's put on competitive fights. All right. We'll uh, continue to... Uh to monitor this story. And I'm also curious to see who ends up, if they make the movie, and who gets the role that Cat didn't get. Exactly. (laughs) Jake Arrieta had his uh, second stint with the Chicago Cubs end rather quickly. Uh, He got the start going back about five nights ago. Gave up seven runs in the first inning. Final score, Milwaukee 10, Cubs nothing. Uh, Jake spent the last three seasons in Philadelphia where it didn't go so well. And remember, 
Jake Arrieta, we've talked to Chris Bosio about Jake many times because Jake had those two great seasons with the Cubs in 2015 and 2016. 2016 when, you know, he won the Cy Young Award, had two no-hitters during that season, and won a world championship as the ace of the Cubs during that season. Had 40 wins in those two seasons with the Cubs. And after he tried to parlay that success into a free agent contract with the Phillies, it didn't work so well. I mean, Jake's arm was pretty much shot. We've kind of talked about this before. So they said, you know, Jake, you're done. You're out of here. So he comes back with the Cubs at the beginning of this year. He's had a horrendous season. And then finally, the Cubs said, you know, after giving up seven runs in the first, you're out of here. So you're thinking, okay, Jake, his career's probably done, right? What happens yesterday? Jake Arrieta gets signed by another major league club. Well, kind of. Well, okay, I'll, you you go ahead and, and, and tag on to the story from there. He did, he did get signed by a yeah. major league club, but it's a minor league contract. Right. Because but it's with a contender, too. Yes. The San Diego Padres right. are saying, well, Jake, if you have anything left in the tank, now is the time to show us, but we're not going to let you do it in a meaningful major league baseball game. We're not that confident. Go down to our minor league club. Let's see if you have something and see if maybe you can help us with the September call-ups and maybe get us into that one of those wild-card spots and see what can happen from there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Jake Arrieta. And it's interesting, too, and I, like you said, we talked to Chris Bazio about this, too, and other people said it, too. That year that he won the Cy Young and that he looked incredible, there was even talk that year that he looked like he was kind of wearing out and slowing down at the end of the season. And when the Philly gave him all that money and he went there, there were some people that thought, we don't know if he's ever going to have a season like that again, and they yep. kind of turned out to be right. Oh, no, and I remember talking about that, too. I thought it was a ridiculous contract that, that he signed. And, and again, I mean, Jake Arrieta, I mean, this, this guy in his mid-30s, pitched 20 games this year with the Cubs, 5-11, and 11, 6.88 ERA. Uh, no, it just it did not have a good season at all. But I think that's if San Diego is going to go and sign him, it is a little bit insulting to have him go down to the minors. If you're not sure about Jake Arrieta, again, being a long-standing veteran, sometimes because you are a World Series champion and you are a Cy Young Award winner, you get the benefit of the doubt. And looking at the rest of that San Diego Padres rotation and even the middle relievers, Jake Arrieta could be fine just if you want to bring him out of the bullpen and maybe even make Jake Arrieta maybe even a closer or at least a setup guy. I don't think he needs to, you know, go down to the minor leagues and really prove himself. I mean, well, you're going to be able to find out what he's got. And again, it's, if you look at this Padres bullpen, it's it's not stellar. No, and I agree with that. The only thing I can say, because I don't know what the Padres are thinking, maybe they looked at film of him in Chicago and they saw some mechanical thing or something that they thought they have to work on, and maybe they think in the minors they can tune him up and get ready. I don't know what the exact reason is. You're right. But it also shows the desperation that Jake Arrieta has right now that he would sign mm. and agree to go to the minors. Yeah, that, that is a little bit shocking. All right. All right, I'm going to take you back another story that we had a while ago. We just talked about Chris Bosio and talking about Jake Arrieta. Well, another guy that Boz told us about recently was Max Scherzer. Yes, my guy Max. Yeah. Mad Max. And he told us about the time when he was down in the bullpen and Max was warming up for a game. And, you know, he basically asked him if he wanted some water or something, and Max basically told him, Get the hell out of my face. I'm warming up. Leave me alone. Mm. You know, and then Basio had something to say to him later when Max, in his way, tried to apologize. Well, I don't know if you saw the game on August 5th when Max made his debut with the Dodgers. Yes. But Dave Roberts talked about that night himself. With the Dodgers there, he talked about 
you know, Max was pitching well, and he came off the mound and said I gave him kind of a pat on the butt and he said, way to go, you know, you're looking good and that kind of stuff. And he goes, he mumbled something to me, but I wasn't sure what it was. And basically I realized that he mumbled, don't effing touch me. <laughs> and so Dave was like, he said he went up to him a little bit later on and said, because he talked to some of the other guys on the team and they said, yeah, yeah, Doc, don't touch him. He doesn't like to be touched. Doesn't like anybody bothered. And so Dave Roberts said he went up to him and he said, did you just mutter to me, don't effing touch me? And he said, Scherzer looked at him and he said, well, I said it as nicely as I could think of saying it at the time in that because I don't like to be touched. I'm on the mound. It's my game. I'm a professional. I know what I need to do. I don't need people touching me or encouraging me or nothing else. So it kind of, I thought, piggybacked perfectly what Basio said. When Max Scherzer's on the mound, if you're his teammate, leave him alone. Doesn't have to be throwing a no-hitter to be left alone. Just leave him alone and let him do his thing. Or he might say something that might hurt your feelings. So this is a great story in so many ways. And like I said, you, you brought it back to where we talked to Bozio about it. And I told you, I've had several uh, conversations with Max Scherzer before when he was in Washington. And I would, and I was told, basically, stay away from Max on game day, which I did and most of the media did. But you get him outside of game day or after he's, his start is over, He's great. I mean, seriously, he's one of the nicest guys in the world. And, you know, Max has is, is gone through a lot. You know, he's got one blue eye and one brown eye. And he actually embraces that. And, you know, a lot of people made fun of him when he was a kid about all that stuff. And, and the Nationals, when he pitched for them, they kind of, like, embraced that. And they used it as kind of intimidation factor and everything. But Max is a great guy. And uh, I never saw any confrontations with him and Dusty Baker. But you got to remember, those Dodgers and Nats series in the playoffs were really heated. And that's why it was kind of strange to see him go to the Dodgers in, in that situation. This was his first game you know, in a Dodger uniform. And he was a little emotional about you know, getting traded by Washington. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I could see where that would happen. And Dave Roberts, honestly, he's a guy – that is known for pulling his pitchers early. Just ask Clayton Kershaw. Ask other guys that have had no-nos going, and he's pulled them. So I don't think Max has a whole bunch of respect for Dave Roberts because of their battles uh, against the Dodgers back in the day. And now he's playing for him, and he knows that Max isn't going to get a chance to go deep into games because Roberts loves the hook. So I think there's something there about, hey, you know, I'm not really crazy about you anyway. And, yeah, don't touch me because I'm in your zone. But I just don't picture Max and, and Dave Roberts hanging out anytime soon. Yeah, and just remember this. In today's era, in 2021, you don't touch people. Yeah. You don't touch a man, woman, whatever team you're on, whatever sport but it is. But that's relationship, though. Because, no, I know. But, and, yeah. and I said that yeah. kind of tongue-in-cheek. In no, that, I but, know. I but know. it is different. Yeah. But, yeah, but you do have to know your players and people like that. Yeah. And, again, from what the teammates said there and like you said in Washington, sometimes it's kind of it, – to me it's actually a little bit strange that Dave Roberts didn't know that about Max when he came there. Yeah. Like you said, it was well-known in Washington. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when we first started covering the Golden Knights. And you don't talk to Marc-Andre Fleury on game day or right. Robin Leonard or whoever the goalie is. You don't talk to the starting goalie. Now, Flower would have still talked to us, but right. Max Scherzer obviously is somebody that when they say putting on your game face and somebody, oh, it's a game face, and Bobby Knight did the thing years ago about it, Max Scherzer apparently actually has one. Right. So, And whether he's wearing a mask or not, you probably can tell what the game face is. Hmm. Bottom line, if Max is on the mound, 
He's off limits. <laughs> All right. Uh, terrible Tuesday takes. You can always hit us on Twitter with your own at TCMartin21 at VGKFrank. When we come back, going to hear from Liz Cambage. Aces in action tonight coming off that thrilling victory on Sunday afternoon. They were down 21 points. They led 2 to nothing and led again at 84-83. So back in action tonight, the Mandalay Bay Michelob Ultra Arena. It was bookend leads. Yes, it was bookend leads. We'll talk to Liz about that, plus so many other issues as well coming up next. You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Monitor. We get ready for... Tonight's game, the Las Vegas Aces in action at the Mandalay Bay Michelob Ultra Arena against the Washington Mystics once again. And joining me now is the one and only Big Benzy, as I like to call her. <laughs> the superstar, Liz Cambage, the center, the guard. I don't know what we're calling you these days. What's up, Liz? What's up, TC? <laughs> All right, we got a lot to get to. Let's oh, first buddy. talk about... The comeback on Sunday. Yeah. The comeback. The slow start, but then the second half, you guys start to put it together. Take us through the game from the beginning to the end from your perspective. Yeah. But going into it mentally, like, I knew I had to bring the energy. Well, we got how many gold medals we got on this team from this Olympics. So, Mm. like, I knew them girls were going to be tired. I couldn't really keep my, my butt on the court the first half. You know, I got in a bit of foul yeah. trouble. But in that second quarter, in the second half, sorry, I was like, we just got to come back. We were down by 15. I think we were down by 21 at one point Correct. in the second. Yeah. And mm-hmm. chipped away. And that's all you can do. You put yourself in a bad position. You just got to chip away and, and, and climb out that hole. And we did it. You know, we locked in the second half. And we got it done from the beginning to the end. Um, and it's exciting. You know, I've, I've said, like, I haven't seen us play to our potential for... <laughs> Like, more than 20 minutes, I feel like, Mm -hmm. as a collective on the court. Um, So heading into, like, playoffs and stuff, I'm excited that that we're on this this end of the season. In that fourth quarter on Sunday, you had nine points. Big stop at the end for you, contesting Ariel Atkins' shot. Oh, Lord. Uh, What was the difference for you down the stretch? Was it just getting locked in or We were all just locked in. We were all locked in. We just wanted to win. That, like, guarding Ariel Atkins with five seconds to go is not a position I would like to find myself in ever again. Like, she's a killer. Like, everyone was like, Liz, don't look so shook, like, after after she, like, after the game. I was like, I'm sorry. I was just terrified for, like, a good five seconds. Because she had just hit a three, like, in the third with a hand, my hand in her face. So, wait, I got to play this girl with five. Oh. So, yeah, she shot that ball. And it was, like, slow motion for me. Very slow motion. And I was, all I could see was sports center, like, play the game. <laughs> And then that, that thing popped. I said, thank you, Lord. Basketball God's got me today. But I didn't see it was Asia's help. Yes. Low-key, Asia had big help. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even see her. I was so locked in in the moment. But, yeah, it was it was, it was, it was the double homicide, me and Asia locking it down on the defensive end. What was the mood like at halftime? What was Bill's message to you guys? Just like, come on. Like, it's not over. Lock in. Like, clean it up. Like, it ain't over. Um, that's right. We got back out there. We got back to work. All right. When you have a comeback like that, there's usually a key moment or a stretch. Mm. What do you feel that was for you guys down the stretch? Oh, when we when we started going off in the third. Yeah. 
Um, definitely, yeah. The third quarter is when we really started working it back again. Mm-hmm. Liz Cambage joins us, and the Ace is back in action again tonight against the Washington Mystics. Okay, a five-week break. How hard is it to be playing and working out every day? And then all of a sudden you come to a complete stop, especially for you yeah, because man, this you. Ain't something I've done before. <laughs> because this ain't something I've done before, but I needed it. Mm-hmm. I needed it. I'm gonna be completely honest. Like, this is the first time I've ever been a part of the WNBA in Olympic year, and it's just not something. As a major player on, you know, many teams, like it's not easy to 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 just jump out of the aces and then go jump in with your national team. And then meant to come back here and, and, and play a week yeah. after, like, and mentally, physically, I just wasn't there. So I was like, I got a decision. I can give the Olympics my all mm-hmm. and probably not come back, or I can take a break now and really focus with the aces. So I needed that break. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's easier to, to, to relax and get back into it than to go to the Olympics right. and then pop back. But it's bizarre, but I've, I've had a good break. You know, I had a little bit of time off in, in Newport Beach and then yeah. go back to training yeah. with my coach out in the Valley. So I enjoyed it. Right. I needed it. Yeah. And I'm feeling a lot better for it. We know how important that your national team is in the Olympics because we talked mm-hmm. a lot about that leading up mm-hmm. to it. And then you know, you didn't play the last couple games, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. before the break there. Take us through your situation, what happened, and then what led to the decision mm-hmm. for, for you not to go in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to miss those two games and, and uh, with the with the Aces and started training again with the Australian team, and I could barely get through a session with my Achilles. Um, I had Achilles problems. I'm already exhausted from our season. Going, I was broken. Um, the, the day we played, what was the last game I played before the break? Yeah, it was what two two games before that. Mm. So you know, but a week, a week a week no, a week before the game that. before mini. It was the game. Before, what? Yeah. It was it was bad. It was it was like one of the worst. Phoenix games game. I had. Yeah. I had I had been like crying with the coaches that day about uh, the Australian team coaches about how tired and stressed I was. So, like, the, the way mentally how I was feeling, if you were around me the month leading into the Olympics, you would have known I, I was not okay. Mm-hmm. I'd been vomiting from stress during during our games. Um, not sleeping, not eating. My anxiety was bad. But as soon as I made the decision, like, as soon as there was no fans, I was like, I just don't want to do this bubble. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it makes it me less of a professional athlete that this whole bubble situation is just like something I really don't want to put myself in. I don't know if that makes me less of a professional. Like the thought of all these bubble situations I just is just not for someone with anxiety and that like needs an escape route all the time. Like I'm the type of person, I walk into a building, I walk into someone else's house, I walk into a party, I walk into an event. I always know where the exit is straight away. Um, and that's my thing. Like, you don't know what people are going through. Like, we got girls on this team. Like, you don't, you don't know idea what's going on back at home. Like, this breast cancer game, like, I remember two years ago, we were doing, like, our, our dumb NBA stuff. Like, the, the videos. And it was, like, our media day. And they were, like, we want you to do, like, the breast cancer shout-out. And I was, like, look, I'd rather girls on the team that have been touched by breast cancer, like, do it. Because I don't really have anyone with breast cancer in my life. And at the end of that season, it was funny, I debuted the Pink Hardens. 
We got knocked out by Washington. I went home. As soon as I landed, my mom had to see me down and tell me that our, one of our family members had breast cancer. And it's just crazy. Like, I've always thought, like, it's one in, it's one in three women that get it. And I've always looked at, like, the three women in my family. And for, like, one of us to finally get it is just, like, it's so, it's so heartbreaking and hard. But I'm lucky that um, the person in my life that, that fought breast cancer, she's still here mm-hmm. and she's still going. But... It's just like, you have no idea. That's what I was going through all last week, and uh, all last year, sorry. And the pandemic, like, you just got no idea what people are going through, mentally and physically. Right. You have always been very open mm-hmm. about how this kind of stuff uh, affects you. Mm-hmm. You've been a great proponent for, you know, mental health awareness. Mm-hmm. And when you saw the Olympic Games, I don't know how much you actually did watch, but mm-hmm. then you were watching someone like Simone Biles yeah. go through what she went mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. It really had to resonate with you as well, too. Yeah, like... It's not easy to watch. Like, I do from the jump. This whole bubble, no fans. Like, the Olympics is the most intense situation for an athlete. Like, it's Everest. It's Everest. And you've been working for this since you were a kid, since you were a teenager. Like, you've been locked in for the last four years chasing this one goal. And it comes down to this one moment. And you're locked in a village with, like, thousands of other athletes that are feeling the same way. Like, I didn't want no part of that energy. Like, it would have just been a big dome. Of like just just you could cut the tension by a knife in there and I don't know look like it just it just wasn't for me right it just wasn't for me and I got two I've been to two already like right. I know what it's like. I've been I, it's not right. my first rodeo like right. I know what to expect I know how it goes down and mm. just wasn't for me now that you know that you got ten games left mm. and it's it's coming crunch time mm-hmm. playoffs expectations are high mm-hmm. how are you feeling right now mentally and physically. I feel good. I feel great. It's nice being back here. You look great. You sound great. No organization in my life as an athlete has, like, cared about me as a human like the ACC. So this is this is where it's at, like, from the top to the bottom, from Mark Davis to, to Dan to our coaches. Like, everyone checks on me. Everyone's got my back. And I'm very lucky and very blessed to be here. Mm-hmm. Because I played for organizations that didn't give a, a flying mm. duck mm-hmm. about anything to do with m- right. my physical, my mental. But you still yeah. want me to go out there and lead you to a ring and, and, and put your franchise yeah. on my back? That ain't yeah. it. In retrospect now, looking back, yeah. that the move here to Las Vegas really was a real positive for you. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So like, I was trying to this say. City, uh, this city crazy as hell. Like It's crazy <laughs> out here. Like, I'm sorry. It's 120 every day. Everyone on Demon Time summoned heavy after this COVID craziness. But, you know, I found my little spot down in Henderson, Summerlin, be hanging out in Summerlin, like the quiet areas away from the strip. But it's, right. it is fun. Uh, we got the craziest fans in the league. Like the house goes off. Like, it's lit up in here. I can't wait for it to be lit tonight. All the guys, all the girls that come out to our games, they see it. Like it's just, it's a really exciting city. And, where sport is going in this city as well is it, super exciting. Like I had never been to summer league before. Right. I was courtside like every second day last week, enjoying it. And you know, I've really learned to 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 love basketball a whole lot more through this pandemic. Like I've really had time to sit and watch and study the game. Like I just growing up, I was just I was like I don't want to watch any more basketball. I play this game. And also living in Australia, like I didn't really have you know, an afternoon and an evening full of NBA just on the TV. Right. Like, I would have to have ESPN on at, like, right. 5 a.m. to catch a right. game. Right. So 
uh, being uh, being here in the pandemic ha- has really, you know, increased my love for the game um, and helped me really find my place here mm-hmm. in America. What's the best part for you being on this team? Getting to talk to you before games. <laughs> well said. <laughs> and our wonderful TV host. Of as course. Well. Oh yeah, she's we wonderful got, as we, well too. We got the with lovely ladies on TV and uh, <laughs> and TC behind the radio. There you go. I appreciate it. Liz Cambay joins us. Get ready for tonight's game. Birthday. No. Birthday. This girl is going to be thirty. Actually, technically. Depends on where you're at in the world. You're already 30. Oh, so happy birthday, girl. Thank you. AJ, nothing but a number. Don't don't <laughs> be. Telling me that. Come on. Keep telling me that, y'all. Give me the birthday plans. Come on. I got a little dinner tomorrow night in LA. Just with my, yeah, my friends and family back there. And then back for practice Thursday morning. That's it? Yeah. What about the uh, post-game uh, celebration tonight after the victory? We got to get that win first. <laughs> Is there we a gotta, doubt? We got to get that W. No, but they're going to come out hot. They're going to come out hot after that last game. So we just need to come locked in, and then I I can uh, celebrate a new decade. All right. Final Mm -hmm. thing for you as we get ready for tonight's game, stretch run, playoffs on the horizon. How confident do you feel about you, your teammates, and the stretch run? Very confident. Yeah. Yeah. You want a ring, don't you, girl? Yes, sir. <laughs> Shit, no Forget a- that gold medal. It's all about the ring, right? No one putting a Harry Winston on this finger anytime soon, so let me go get my own. <laughs> and I'm sure if we get it, Mark Davis going to get me something real nice. You know he is. <laughs> all right. Well, happy birthday, girl. Liz Cambage, and good luck tonight. Thank Always you. a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you, TC. Thank you. Liz Cambage. One of my favorites, again, because she's an open book. She'll talk about what's on her mind. She'll talk about her struggles, her mental health issues. And going back to what transpired before the Olympic Games, there was a very, very important thing for her. Always has been. Now, she's been to Olympic Games, but her country, playing for the Opals, as she likes to say, and Team Australia, it meant a lot to her. And to go through what she went through, there was an altercation uh, during one of the... Uh, exhibition games. It was kind of a closed-door exhibition game against Nigeria. And uh, there was some animosity between one of her teammates and and Liz. And uh, it got kind of blown out of proportion a little bit. And she was fragile. Like she said, leading up to that Olympic training, she goes back about two or three weeks before that, she was saying that she was just stressed, you know, with all the pressure. And a lot of us don't understand the pressure that an athlete has when they are the face of their country, like she is. We talk about Andrew Bogut, Luke Longley, Patty Mills, you know, those, those Australian athletes. Being the biggest female athlete, at least basketball star, a lot of pressure on Liz Cambage and living however far that is, you know, 4,000 miles away. Um, and people don't understand what she's gone through. I mentioned Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka. Uh, the mental health is a real issue, and she wears it on her sleeve. And I appreciate for her, I always appreciate her talking about it, because it's not easy for people to talk about that. Yeah, so she went from uh, playing down under to now playing down low for the Aces. She liked what she saw here in Vegas. Now she wants to put a ring on it. So, you know, uh, good for her, and we'll see how it all works out. But, yeah, I mean, she, she's definitely a quality basketball player. But it also shows, too, that, again, 
a lot of times people look at somebody's size, and especially with women, it seems like even more, you know, a big woman, she's, you know, she's carrying the world on her shoulders, she can handle whatever we throw at them or something like that, or like a Simone Biles or Naomi Osaka. Oh, again, Simone Biles put a goat on her own leotard, so she did bring some of the attention to her, but, you know, she didn't know that she was going to have a breakdown right during the tryouts and that for the Olympics. Naomi Osaka, people, oh, I think she's faking it. How do you know? Again, I follow her on Instagram and that. She is a very, you know, She's a very sensitive young lady and that kind of stuff. But just because somebody's big or strong or athletic or whatever, you don't know what's going on in their head. You don't know what's going on in their world. And like you said, with Liz Cambage, she's the face of the Australian basketball team. But it's not like being the face of USA where, okay, I'm Asia Wilson, but I also have all the other, uh, you know, there's also uh, Tarasi and Bird and Griner and everything else out there. She doesn't exactly have the same supporting cast. And if she does go to the Olympics... The pressure to win a medal is going to be pretty high on yeah. that team. Yeah, and there have already been some some disappointments in the past couple Olympic uh, games that where Australia hasn't won. But there you go. All right, uh, Liz Cambage, you can see her tonight, and you can get tickets to the Aces game. They're opening it back up. You got to wear masks and everything. So uh, there it is tonight against the Washington Mystics. They came back down twenty one points. They won eighty four eighty three. Second half of the season underway. Only four home games left, so check it out tonight at the Mandalay Bay Michelob Ultra Arena. Or, if you can't, listen to uh, the call. We had an exciting call there on Sunday in a 6.30 pregame show, 7 o'clock tip-off tonight, Aces and the Mystics. You can listen to that. A few notches down the dial, AM 1100 to 100.9 FM. Bring your headset into the Michelob Ultra Arena and then listen to it while you're doing it. If you don't know all the players in that, you'll know them when TC shouts out their names. There you go. All right, looking forward to tonight's game. Appreciate Liz Cambage, Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, Jackie, all of them. Just uh, D.R.K. Hamby, uh, just, just a pleasure. All right, we come back. Nico Ali Walsh will join us. He won his pro debut. In a grand style. We'll talk to him coming up next. Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder.
He's playing to the crowd. Said he wasn't going to emulate his grandfather. He goes to the bottom. a big right hand that comes in from Nico. Weeks is so defensively flawed. And this fight is over a TKO victory for the grandson of the GOAT, Nico Ali Walsh, against an overmatched Jordan Weeks, takes care of business, and the journey has begun. All right, Joe Tessitore, our man Tim Bradley on the call Saturday night, Hard Rock Hotel Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, the victor, and we talked to him last week before his pro debut. Now we talk to him after being 1-0 with a first-round TKO, Nico Alley-Walsh. Nico, what's going on, my man? How you doing? Good to talk to you again. You got it, man. Like I said last week, we had to have you back on after uh, after the fight, and then uh, here we go, man. You sound... Uh, you know, just as pumped uh, and confident as we as you were last week, man. So, congratulations! Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, we listened to that call. We watched the fight on Saturday night. Uh, it was a, a great performance uh, on your behalf, and uh, it, it's funny because you know, with our our open that we had here at the top of the hour, you have your grandfather on our open saying, talking to Howard Cosell and saying. That man is dangerous. That's what, saying, that's what everyone's saying about you right now, my friend. You're dangerous. <laughs> so, so Grandpa's talking directly to you, I think. Yeah, I guess so. That's that's perfect. <laughs> All right, man. Plenty of hype. Plenty of expectations. How do you feel that you handled the entire situation now and, and walk us back, uh, you know, through the last week or so? Well, you know, when we when we spoke, I was in a I was in a very comfortable and confident space. Uh, I think that is a result of, you know, my preparation and, and my trainer. My whole team is just pretty amazing. Sugar Hill and, and B.B. Hudson. And I got Richard Sloan as my cutman, And then my uncle, Mike Joyce, in my corner. So, I, I mean, I was in a perfect state of mind. But I was absolutely lying to you when, when I said that I didn't feel pressure because the pressure was <laughs> Men. Wait a minute! You're lying to us, Nico. You can't be lying. What's going on, I didn't mean man? To be lying, but you let's know. cut this guy off. He's never coming back. I mean, he lied to us. No, Come I on. Mean, my grandfather said you gotta fake it till you make it, and that's exactly what I did. You know, it was the first, the first, the pro debut is always the hardest. That's what every fighter tells me, and so the expectation for me was it seemed like more than any fighter in history, like the. The hype was just ridiculous, so I just had to get it out of the way, and and I'm couldn't be more proud with how it went. Yeah, and remember this too. I mean, you weren't necessarily lying to us; you were taking a page out of your grandfather's book of promoting the fight yep. and showing that air of confidence right. and all that. So you know that's what they expect from you. But you talk about yeah. the hype being ridiculous. I mean, I would have thought that your fight was the main event on the card, the only thing that anybody tuned in for. I think I know yeah. more about the shorts you wore in that fight than I know about any of the other <laughs> fighters on the card, for crying out loud. Yeah. You know what? It, it's, such, it's such a cool story with the shorts because, you know, I, I wasn't lying at all. I was absolutely confident. I couldn't be more confident in the fight, but the pressure was, you know, I felt it. I felt the pressure. Let me say um, this. Nico. Go ahead. I wasn't supposed to wear my shorts. I wasn't supposed to wear those shorts. I was supposed to wear shorts that had Nico on it, but uh, those shorts weren't ready. 
Wow. Okay. So we, yeah, yeah I mean, so, so much. Done. First of all, I do want to say, of course, you know, I'm just giving you a bad time here, but every, at, when we had you on last week, everybody said the same thing when they, when they heard the interview, whether it was live or went back and listened to it on the website of the podcast, they said, this kid, he's so mature for 21. He seems so <laughs> confident. Like he's really got it together. And you did, you, you really, Played that off very, very well. We know how it is as being an athlete. I mean, you've got nerves. And again, a a lot of pressure. We had, you know, Bob Aramon, and Bob said the exact same thing. He said, Bob, are you a little bit nervous about Nico's fight? Because you know there's going to be those naysayers out there that say, hey, the only reason you signed this guy was because he was Muhammad Ali's grandkid who you promoted. And and that sort of thing. Bob says, absolutely correct. He goes, I'm nervous as can be. He goes, I think I'm more nervous than Nico is. So uh, we totally understand that. I think everybody gets that. But seriously, my friend, you really did a fantastic job of keeping yourself composed during the training, during the buildup, during all of that. So, uh, you know, kudos to you. And, again, we like, we like to have a lot of fun, you know, with you and our guests and especially all of our friends at Top Rank there. So, But, uh, no, I, I think, you know, we're all impressed, not just, you know, the way you fought that night, but just the way you composed yourself. So, again, kudos to you and congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it, it, was, it was quite the experience. <laughs> Nico, take us through the time when you arrived in Tulsa and then to the weigh-in, and then actually I want to hear about the actual walk to the ring, and then before that bell sounded, what was going through your mind? Oh, man, I mean, the emotions were just so high. Uh, You know, it's not just, it's really special. It's really special because, you know, it's not like my grandfather was a boxer, but people don't treat him like a boxer. People associate you know, so much emotion towards him. So uh, that's that's the way it is for me, obviously, because he's my grandfather. And, uh, you know, I wish he could have been there. So it was just so much emotion uh, leading up to the fight, so much. And, and I just thank God I was able to, uh, you know, battle, you know, my mind uh, for that the day of the fight. I, it, I felt so, so confident, so strong mentally and uh, – yeah, I mean, I don't know where I got that strength from. Mm-hmm. You talk about the trunks. They were your grandfather's trunks. He actually gave those to you. Talk a little bit about the significance of wearing those and, and actually where they came from. Yeah, so I actually got them from uh, my grandfather's old-time uh, manager, Gene Kilroy. He get, He gifted me those trunks after my grandfather passed away. Uh, just as a little memento that I could uh, hold on and, and keep, and uh, yeah, they were they were his trunks. I don't know if they were fight worn or if he wore them for training or whatever, but they were his trunks, and it was it, it was an honor to receive them. I wasn't planning on wearing them for the fight. I had my own Nico trunks that were supposed to be made for the fight, uh, but it wasn't ready in time. And my trainer Sugar Hill said, "Bring an extra pair of white." white trunks to Tulsa just in case your trunks aren't ready. And I said, well, the only other trunks that I have are my grandfather's. I, I can't bring those. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to wear those. And he said, you know what? Just in case, bring it. So it wasn't until the day before the fight that I realized, hey, I'm going to have to wear my grandfather's trunks. Wow. Now, Muhammad Ali, 
was a heavyweight. He fought usually between 220 and 240 pounds, depending on where he was at in yeah. his career. You're nowhere near that. How did they fit? Did they have a? No. You, hopefully, you had some elastic and drawstring there. No, you know what? It. They. I'm shocked that they fit. But what's great about the shorts is that the style back in the day was, you know, those those smaller kind of shorts. You know, the style back oh, then true. was yeah. not the long, you know, shorts that go below the knee. And I love that style. So I'm. I'm not going to be. I retired those shorts. Uh, I'm not wearing them again, but uh, the next short I'll be wearing will be the same length because I'm an old school guy. I'm an old fashioned guy, and I love that style. You know, it's interesting because you said that when you were in the ring, you were wishing that your grandfather could be there. With the way that things worked out, and sometimes things work out the way that they're supposed to when you don't expect it, by wearing those trunks and being in the ring, did you feel more in tune? Did you feel like you were there with your grandfather in the ring? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I just, I can't thank people enough for the amount of love and and support that I've been getting, you know, in messages and and whatnot. People are saying that, hey, you know, I'm not a boxing fan, uh, but I used to watch your grandfather with my dad. My dad passed away and I cried when I saw your fight. And, you know, it's, I I love hearing that stuff because people are saying, uh, that I he was alive again. You know, they were chanting Ali in the crowd. So it certainly felt like he was alive that night. It felt like he was there. And it, it was almost like he was living through me. That's what people have been uh, messaging me and saying, and that I really can't uh, describe that feeling. Nico Ali Walsh joins us again after visiting with us last week before his pro debut. Last Saturday night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, first round TKO over Jordan Weeks. Uh, tremendous performance by you. Nico, how would you grade your performance now that you're looking back at it? And how many times have you watched it? <laughs> I've seen it too, too many times uh, to count. I could probably recite the whole commentary backwards. <laughs> how would you grade your performance? Uh, you know, I'm so critical of myself, but... My trainer, that's the only opinion I care for, and he gave me an A-plus for a debut. So that's all I can take. But, but I'm curious. I mean, again, you are your most critical judge and totally Absolutely. understand that, and you should be. That's great. But when you look back, I mean, d- despite what your trainer says, of course, you, you respect Sugar Hill, of course, but you yourself, I mean, what did you notice that maybe you need to work on or that you said, hey, I did that really well, or maybe it was handling the moment? Just, you know, in your own words, yeah. when you were looking at back, what were you saying to yourself? Well, the greatest thing that I did, I'll, I'll start off with the good. The greatest thing that I did was I was able to keep my composure um, in and, you know, I was able to stick with what I had set out to do. I was bouncing correctly. Uh, I, was, I was doing everything that I was doing in training camp. And I was absolutely composed. I, didn't, I did not, for a moment, go crazy or ballistic. But that brings me to, you know, the downside of what I can improve on. You know, uh, once I got the knockdown... I, my, my right hand started getting a little wild, a little, a little crazy, and definitely I could sharpen that up and make that more, more of a straight and narrow right hand. But other than that, you know, there's really not much that I feel like uh, I could have done better 
for a debut. And I'm excited, you know, that I can – I have so much to learn. And, and that's the greatest thing is that I think I did so great. Just imagine how great I'll think I've done in, you know, five fights. So I'm just excited to learn. I thought it was interesting after the fight when you had mentioned that you basically only threw the jab and the right because that's what you were working on going into it. That's what they wanted you to do. How much are you looking forward to more fights down the road and being able to show a little bit more of your arsenal and doing stuff? Because right now it seems like the game plan is just stay the course, listen to the people behind you, because although you're alone in that ring, boxing is a team sport and you got a hell of a team around you. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was... It was kind of hard at times because my trainer would uh, only, I mean, over the course of a few months, the whole training camp, we were just going over the jab right hand. He was trying to perfect my jab, and that's all I ended up using in the fight. And I would think to myself, you know, is this enough? But I I will never, ever question my trainer, um, especially not now because it was enough. All I used was a jab right hand, and any other punch that I threw aside from a jab right hand We went over in the dressing room just moments before I walked out. No, that's an excellent teaching moment, too, because you need to perfect that, and you're still young enough, and again, you had enough to dispose of this opponent. And so once you perfect that, then you can expand your arsenal, you know, with, with the, with the hooks and the, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Right. So right. yeah, no, I, that, that's some great advice that Sugar Hill uh, gave you there. You were part of a worldwide television audience for your pro debut on ESPN. Um, yeah. You had a very good main event taking place after your fight in the, in the trilogy with Franco and Maloney. But like Frank said, it seemed like you were the main event. And now, did you ever yeah. imagine that your first pro fight, because you never really knew when it was going to be up until you know, a couple months ago, that it would turn out like this? No, you know, I mean, I never realistically imagined it. It would it would only be, you know, in my dreams, you know, that it went this way. But I, I'm so blessed that it went this way and you know, just to be just to be sharing the same card as the fighters that were on that card uh is a blessing in itself. You know, being and then they moved me up to basically the co main event. For my first fight it's just like it's crazy. It's it's something that, you know, isn't really done. And obviously I'm being given these opportunities because of uh my name. I wouldn't be getting I wouldn't be getting these opportunities if I was, you know, Joe Schmo. But with the opportunities comes the the pressure and you know, I have to I have to perform or or the opportunities will mean nothing. With the first round stoppage of the fight and you looking so good, I'm imagining that you came out of the fight pretty much unscathed. What's on the horizon? Uh, are you looking at another fight right now? Or are you just letting your uh, Bob Arum and the people behind the scenes make those decisions? Or do you have something that you're kind of pointing towards right at this moment? You know, Bob Arum is not playing around whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Right after the fight, the first thing I thanked him for believing in me, I, I thanked him for everything, and he was in the ring. The first thing he said to me after the fight was, uh, next stop, Atlanta. There it is. So I'm already, I'm already, I already have a date, October 23rd in Atlanta. So that's, that's my next fight. And that's where my mind is at right now. You know, I got a couple days right now to just rest, but I'm already getting antsy because, you know, I've been working out for so long. 
Uh, but that's that's my next goal, yeah. October 23rd. We, we were talking about this last week, too, about how you are going to be fast-tracked. And with a lot of you know fighters that are just starting your career, when you're starting four-rounders and you dispose of an opponent in the first round, I mean, you can come back and fight you know, probably, you know, four, five, six weeks. And Bob is going to, you know, have everything planned out for you because he wants to get you, you know, you mentioned, you know, five and oh, uh, 10 and oh, he wants to get you to about 15 yeah. and oh. And, and that's yeah. where the goal is to get you there as quickly as possible. Youth is on your side. You're only 21 years old right now. And again, you are in the perfect situation and you can say what you want about your, you know, you know, having the, the surname of, of Ali, but the bottom line is you've got a great trainer, you've got a great promoter, the, the best of all time, and you've got a great team in camp around you, as you know, and you've got a good, a, a good family situation, as we know, too, Nico. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You, you are, you're heading in the right direction, even if, you know, people want to say, well, this guy didn't have that much of an amateur career or whatever. I mean, you can tell that you've got boxing skills and you will continue to sharpen those skills and, uh, you know, the, the best advice I'm sure that, you know, people can give you, and I'm sure Sugar Hill and Bob Arum and Bruce Trample and all those guys will tell you, is just like, hey, be a sponge, man, and just continue to listen yeah. to those quality people around you because you are in a very advantageous position. Yeah, and that's all I've been doing. That's, that's, all, I, that's all I am is a sponge. Mm-hmm. All I do is, you know, listen and watch these guys in the most mm-hmm. – special thing to me that's going to happen for this next training camp is that I'm going to be with Tyson Fury directly because he's going to be training for the Deontay Wilder fight. So just being around, you know, him, I've looked up to him for so many years, but being around him in person and being able to watch him and how he interacts with sugar and you know, how he works out, I'll be able to pick up stuff from just watching. Yeah. So I'm in a blessed <laughs> position and I'm excited. Yeah. Having the trainer that also trains Tyson Fury, the heavyweight champion of the world, pretty special uh i'm curious who did you talk to either before the fight leading up to it or after the fight that kind of really resonated with you whether it was a you know a a superstar or a a, you know famous boxer anyone that gave you advice or congratulations afterwards you know i kept i i was so laser focused that i really didn't talk to a lot of people um, before the fight, it was only family and it was only, you know, my, my team, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would just say sugar, sugar and I, uh, and, and my strength and conditioning coach, BB Hudson, we, we really hit it off. We were just vibing the whole time. It, It was like we were on vacation in Tulsa. You know, we weren't, we weren't super duper serious fight mode until 10 minutes before we walked out. So we, we had a we had fun doing it and, and the hard the hard rigorous parts of training comes from training. You know, the, the night of the fight is supposed to be fun and easy. If you if you worked hard enough, that's that's how it'll yeah. be. Well you mentioned that you weren't in super serious fight mode, so here's a not super serious question. Now that your yeah. grandfather's trunks are retired, are the Nico trunks gonna be ready for October twenty third <laughs> if you don't have a backup? You know what? I'm I'm gonna be running out of backups. You know, I don't have. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna be wearing Layla's trunks. So they, <laughs> the Nico trunks, better be ready. They will be. There you go. All right. Uh, well, you you mentioned uh, you know several people in your camp or whatever. There's one person that you that you didn't mention that got plenty of TV time Saturday <laughs> night, and that's your boy Flavor Flav. 
So you. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. So talk about yes. that relationship. Where'd that start? Well, you know, Flav is he's he's my godfather. That's like the title that we give him. And as a Muslim, like you aren't supposed to have like a godfather, uh, but it's it's just an endearing title because he's he's family without being blood related. You know, he's the closest thing to family outside of family that I that I've ever met in my life. And he's almost like an older brother. So, yeah, no, we were roommates uh, in, in Tulsa. We, we shared a room, me and him. Ha- has he given you a clock yet? He hasn't given me a clock, but he wears, he, like, sometimes he'll wear the clock on his chest and he'll wear two wristwatches. Watch, <laughs> so, so does he point to the clock on his chest and say, it's time? <laughs> he says it's knockout time. That was, that was his line uh, for Saturday night. <laughs> There you go. All right, Nico. Appreciate the time, uh, my friend. Congratulations again. You look fantastic. Oh, but the most important thing, you know where we're going to go with this, don't you? Come on. What did you tell us? What was the celebration supposed to be after you won? The ice cream. What kind of ice cream did you you have the ice cream? I'm I'm sorry to tell you guys that I, I didn't. I was so happy with the performance that I was like, you know what? I've lost my hunger for ice cream. Let me get straight back into training camp. I did not eat ice cream. Well, you just have a hunger for knocking people out now, so that's probably better. And as frequently as you fight, you probably can't afford as many cheap meals as uh, some other guys out there because you're going to be right back in action. <laughs> right. And you know what? I'm happy that I'm not having the craving for them anymore. It's, it's pretty pretty good. Listen, I mean, we just mentioned ice cream. You sure now you're thinking, oh man, I'm Jones for that ice cream. I forgot all about that. Yeah, I got. <laughs> I, I get off this call here. It, it's time to go get some ice cream. I'll, I mean, right now I'm I'm good, but you know what? I'll let you guys know. <laughs> I'll let you guys know if I get those cravings again. Well, j- just so you know, TC brought in some ice cream after we interviewed I you, did. and he put it in the freezer here in case you wanted it after your fight, but. I think Numchuk took it home with him. Yeah, so. that's it. Hey, and, 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 and give our great sponsors a shout-out. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers. They'd love for you to try some of their frozen custard, the best in Las Vegas, as you know, Nico. Yeah, and, and TC I, had I the vanilla for you. I would love to try it. Yeah, he had the vanilla for you and also key lime pie if you wanted to get, go outside the box a little because we know you like the oh, simple the vanilla stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I almost have to stop talking about it. Like You, you guys are making me rethink here what I'm doing. Yeah, you know that thing did disappear out of that refrigerator pretty quickly. I don't know who the culprit was, but yeah, that was yeah, safe. That, that was safe for Nico. There we go. All right, brother. Hey, great stuff. Uh, we appreciate the time as always, and we look forward to talking with you again uh, before October the twenty third. Right? We got to make that a promise. Yes, sir. You got it. All right. Take care, Nico. All right. See ya. There he is. He's one and zero. TKO victory Saturday night against Jordan Weeks. Nico, Ali, Walsh, the pride of Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman High, and UNLV. You know what that means now? Well, I mean, since Nico's not eating his share of the ice cream, we got to go to Freddy's pretty soon and get a couple of shakes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he didn't say key lime pie, or he said shakes. And you, you want that chocolate shake, don't you? Well, yeah, I ain't eating no key lime pie. Yeah. You know, and I ain't eating, not having the vegan stuff either. Some people are down with that. I'm not. Yeah, some 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 doctors that we have on on the program really like that vegan yeah. ice cream and other stuff like that. Yeah. Too healthy. They want a shot of the uh, vegan cream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, when we come back, we have a daily dose of Dan. Right, we got Dan Campbell, uh, the Detroit Lions head coach. 
we can always tap into him for some uh, special stuff. And then also we're going to visit uh, with Chris Denhart. Chris uh, is the founder of Dugout Mugs. Pretty interesting story with that, so hang tight for that. Hi, this is Bill Beer, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. I appreciate Nico Ali Walsh joining us, talking about his debut on Saturday night, 1-0. Good stuff there. Liz Cambage last hour as well, too. You can catch all of this on the website at tcmartinshow.com. It's all there. The interviews, recent ones, the classic. Go to the classic page. Check it all out. And don't forget the Las Vegas Aces back in action tonight. Against the Mystics, 7 o'clock is the tip-off at the Nicola Bolter Arena. The Mandalay Bay and uh, Aces. Mystics, 21 points down. They come storming back. Take care of business, 84-83. It'll be interesting to see. We know the Mystics are going to want to come out on fire night. Liz talked about that in, in our conversation earlier. But uh, the Aces, Bill Lambier says, we cannot start out like that again. Well, and yeah, they want to come out on fire, but they also want to finish on fire. Yes. Because they came out on fire last game, and it still didn't have the result that they wanted. I'm just wondering, when you're there doing the games, and you have a frosty beverage, or whatever you're drinking while you're doing the games, because obviously you're not having a frosty beverage, do you have a special Michelob Ultra mug for it? (laughs) No, I do not. I'm just drinking your... Your regular bottled water, my friend. You know, friend. maybe you need a TC mug, which we'll be talking about in a little bit, possibly down the road here. Yes, The yes. Michelob Ultra mug. Yes, I see where you're endorsed going Endorsed by TC Martin. I like that. The doctor mug. Yeah, see, I, I think you I think you need to tell our, our next guest that. So, there you go. Because if I said that, it would kind of like be a, a shameless plug, you know, which... Yeah. Traditionally, I have I have no problem with, but it's quite all right. Though I don't know how popular you're going to make it if you say have a shot of water with C.C. Martin, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you know, we can put anything you know in the mug. You know, oh, yeah, don't don't worry about that. It's a clear liquid. They don't know exactly what it is. All right. Well, speaking of drinks and everything, uh, you know, Dan Campbell has turned out to be our our favorite soundbite and our favorite NFL coach. You know, right now we don't know if the guy can coach a lick or not. Because when he got hired by the Detroit Lions, going back, what, six months ago, we're sitting there going, okay, this guy has no experience, but he won over the press conference. And when you're in Detroit, when you're a Lions head coach, I mean, really not much to live up to. So it's fine for him to be the story, you know, right now. And I think that that's great. But what's going to happen come opening day and if the Lions aren't winning again, then Dan Campbell may be a foregone conclusion. A lot of people could be, you know, Shooting bullets at the guy. I like the confidence you showed there just in that statement. Yeah. Saying if the Lions aren't winning again. Yeah, right. Like there's a chance they might be. (laughs) But this guy is definitely likable. And we love uh, playing sound bites. He's the favorite for rookie soundbite of the year for new people in in whatever sport. Right. So we talked about, uh, you know, him and his, you know, worked at the chicken shack. Talked about that the other day. Played that soundbite. Before we talked about his, uh, you know, his, his coffee. Uh, you know, shenanigans and everything. He likes his caffeine. Likes likes his caffeine. Well, people now, Lions fans have now taken the Dan Campbell coffee challenge after hearing him talk about all the coffee and all the caffeine that he consumes. So now this is a thing for people in Detroit, the Dan Campbell coffee challenge. I wonder if our friend C. Wynn is down for this. I don't know. If it's Detroit-based, he probably is. Uh, I just have a feeling that Detroit's still not going to take over Seattle for the 
coffee capital of the United <laughs> States. But who knows? You know, the coffee challenge could be a big thing down the road. There it is. Yeah, Dan Campbell. Speaking of uh, Seattle and Starbucks, you know, the home there. Dan Campbell. And Seattle's best, and right, also, I mean, right. there, you yeah, know. Yeah, Dan Campbell gave uh, Starbucks a little, little shout-out. So the Dan Campbell Coffee Challenge, there it is. Here's Dan Campbell talking about his coffee. Well, to normally what I do is I get, I'll get two venti. I go, you know, Starbucks, I get two venti of the pipe with two shots in them. So black eye and both. That's what I come in with. That's how I start the day, so. That's how he starts it? Dan Campbell, there you go. You ready for that? I you're not a coffee guy either, are you? No, I'm not a coffee guy. But remember, when I was in high school and junior college, I used to start every day drinking a two liter bottle of Coke before I went to my first class. 1940 milligrams of caffeine. That's your Dan Campbell special. And see, I don't have my well. Equation so you, have, chart you have about lot, so. seven cokes a day. That's probably you know on the conservative side. Let's add that up. I probably have about six or seven a day. But you have to remember too, when I was younger and in shape, when I was always doing stuff, I literally drank about a case of coke a day. Okay, <laughs> a case like coke a day. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about me getting a mug. Oh, it sounds like you you need a mug yourself. Well, uh, you know, I don't have that high-profile gig like you do. <laughs> All right. I want to bring on a good friend who, as I mentioned, is the creator of Dugout Mugs, where you get to actually drink from a baseball bat. And not just any baseball bat. We're talking about Louisville Sluggers here. It's pretty ingenious. Uh, it's officially licensed by Major League Baseball. They got all teams, all players. It's a perfect gift. I have experienced this myself. Uh, these are fine, fine beverage cups, let me tell you. And I'm going to bring in Chris Dennert. Chris, what's going on, my friend, who happens to actually be here in Las Vegas right now? What's going on, buddy? What's going on, guys? Yeah, actually, being in Las Vegas, it's damn near impossible to find a place that's quiet enough to do a call. <laughs> hey, that's okay. We, but, did, uh, we, we made it happen. Yeah, we just did one from the court at the Mandalay Bay. Don't worry about it. We, we do them from boxing rings and arenas. You fit right in, Chris. Uh, d- don't worry about awesome, it. Awesome, awesome. It, it, it's all good. All right, uh, fantastic idea. You know how I feel about the dugout mugs, and I, and I thank you yep. for letting me uh, you know try these things out. Uh, tell our listeners how the idea or how your dream actually became a reality and how it all started so actually my business partner randall thompson is the one that dreamt it up i'm more the gasoline that got dumped on the fire so uh randall was a pitcher in the blue jays organization and in a world where you gotta throw 92 93 he's throwing 90 so you can only go so high and uh, they told him one day they're like hey you know you're good, but not good enough. So pound sand, see you later. And at that point, it's, you know, you got to kind of reinvent yourself. And, you know, Randall's uh, just a gritty and, you know, super smart, super creative kind of guy. And, you know, he had a handful of different jobs along the way, but ended up uh, coaching back at his alma mater because he wanted to get back closer to the game. And in that little sprint that he was there, one of the other coaches was cutting bats in half for do a hitting, to do a hitting drill. And uh, Randall just started gathering up the barrels in the bottom of the dugout. And he said, hey, dude, care if I take these with me? And he dreamt it up. And, you know, uh, he was living in his sister's backyard at the time. And it was just crazy, man. And But he made it work. You know, he made it work. And he started drawing and, and trying to figure out CAD designs and things like that and woodworking. And uh, once he got the concept, uh, he, he found a couple articles from some of the other companies that I've had and you know, read about some of the things I've done, and he's like, this is the guy. So he called me. I told him it was super weird. 
but, but he was super awesome. And, you know, we kept the conversation going for a few months. And then I said, listen, man, if you're ready to go all in, I'll go all in with you and we'll take this thing to the top. So then we partnered up, you know, uh, and, and at that point is when we launched dugout bugs. Uh, before that it was, it was an idea. It was a concept. It was Thompson mug company. And it just, uh, we decided it was time to go. And that was right at five years ago now. So I want to go back to this. You're talking about, so he's, he's coaching uh, with Florida tech, I believe it was. And yeah, then Florida tech, and, yep. he, and he's, they're, they're cutting bats in, in, in half. Why are they cutting bats in half? You're talking about, you know, batting practice and drill. These just broken no, bats. Drill. So, no, they're doing a hitting drill. So the, so the hitting coach was taking the handle to do a hitting drill about uh, talking about the flight path okay. of the bat. Right. And it's easier to do it when the, you know, two thirds of the weight is gone. So they were working on hitting drills, and they didn't need the barrel. And because they were wood, they were just sawing them off. Did not and, need the uh, barrel. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, the, the the story is it's such a, you know, it's it's the American dream, right? And and that's the one of my favorite things about Randall and the idea and him bringing it to me and having the faith in me to bring me on as a, as a very large equity partner and CEO of the company. And I saw the same vision he saw, and we, we both – um, we're really gritty, hardworking dudes, and you know we took this thing to the top. And didn't Randall like make a joke about this in the beginning, saying something about, "Hey, look at these things! Like you know, you, you could actually drink from a bat or something like that." Isn't that how it started? <laughs> it's still like that. I mean, honestly, you know, we sold probably half a million of these things, and at the end of the day, it's fun. It's a novelty. It's a it's a you're drinking out of the barrel of a baseball bat. I mean, you can't ever take yourself too seriously. So, you know, that's just the culture that we've built within the, within and outside of our company. And and it's always been a joke, and it's fun, and people just love it, especially baseball fans. But like you mentioned, actually, when you're bringing me on, is it's gifting. You know, what do you get somebody that already has everything? You get them something they didn't know existed, right? A fun novelty product and company that people just dig. So and we're when- very grateful for that. So when you decided to come up with the idea and it, you know and create it and all that, how did you know which bats to use or who to endorse or whatever? I mean, you were you looking for the most popular players, players that were approachable or something? Because you know, I remember way back years ago when I used to play baseball, and then you know, I, I had the certain bats that I used to like. Oh, I like this guy's bat style or this, that, or the other. But how did you decide which uh, which bats to use to endorse the dugout mug? Well, so so. We take the same billet that we, well, we sell a lot of mugs, right? So we can't even take bats or broken bats or any of this anymore. We take the same billet that makes a bat. It, it, it is destined to be a bat, but we get it first. And we just turn it into instead on a lathe. So, but it originated with cutting the bats in half to do that. But as far as the players, I would say probably half of the current MLB players have our stuff whether it's at their home bars or in their lockers or, you know, we're doing a, a multiple weddings for multiple players right now. Um, so, so the, the, it's, it's more about the, just the brotherhood in general of the, of, you know, Randall was an ex player and players really buy into that. And it is a brotherhood. So um, it was, it was kind of fun for us because so actually I'll, I'll go back a little bit. So before dugout mugs, I had an apparel company. And I looked at apparel, T-shirts and hats and things like that, and we did very, very well with that. And it was really just the canvas, right? So when dugout mugs, when the bat mug, I should say, came to me before we made it into dugout mugs and what it is today, I looked at it just like a canvas. 
So it wasn't necessarily do I use Mike Trout or do I find a New York Yankees logo. It was about customizing it for grandma and grandpa and this, the kid that just graduated. It was a blank canvas on a unique patented product that we could we, – it's vanilla. We could do anything with it, right? Um, and that, that was really the, the deciding factor for me. Is, is the versatility of the product. And then naturally with some of the connections I had in licensing and things like that, we quickly, quickly got a, a player's license. And then once MLB saw our numbers that we were doing and, and sales and things like that, they quickly extended an MLB license to us a couple of years ago. Chris Denner joins us. Dugout mugs. Uh, the vision has become a reality. They're, they're great. Take us – I want to go back a little bit. So you got the wood. You got the bat. Detail how the process actually works and, and how this is constructed to make it look like, literally, I mean, you have sawed off a bat and, and you're drinking from, from the end of the barrel. Yeah, so, so quality and accuracy is very important to us, right? Um, yeah, I'd love, it. I'd love for the mug to be 16 ounces and not 12, but it loses the profile of a bat. We're not going to do that, right? So once we figured out... Uh, you know, that this thing's on fire in and around the baseball industry and just the gifting industry in general. We had to figure out how to make these in the masses. So we found uh, probably one of the best woodworking companies uh, in Quebec City, Canada, because it's super important for us to, to Randall and myself to keep it North America. So we found a really solid woodworking group uh, uh, just north of the border in Canada. They got amazing wood up there, and they do the lathing. And we have the we own the equipment that actually bores out the barrels, and then it gets shipped down to Central Florida, where the rest of our facility is. Uh, we have a little over twenty thousand square feet and forty employees uh, in the operation down there. Twenty lasers, and we do all the the personalization, customization, UV printing, laser engraving everything right in central florida and then we do all our distribution from uh polk county central florida to everywhere we're we're sold in all 50 states all 30 stadiums many of the minor league and we're even now in seven countries chris was it difficult for you to get major league baseball to get behind this you know it was um there was a guy that worked for us at the time because we only had a pa license and he went to major league baseball and he said hey listen we need a license and they said get out of here we have we're, we're good on drinkware and then, uh, you know, Marco went back to them and said, listen, this isn't drinkware. This is collectible. And they said, okay, we'll take the call. And, and I jumped on the phone and I showed them our stats. Um, Minor League or uh, uh, Major League Baseball Players Association gave us a license, and we 4 x the minimums. They said, oh, you need to do this much in sales. And we hit that number, 400% of that number in like six months. So we really showed out from a, from a sales perspective. So when you showed that to MLB, it wasn't like, do we like the product? It's like, can we really afford to not take this opportunity, right? We just kind of flipped the script on them a little bit because it is. It's a tough license to get. And 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 they said, well, if you believe in it, put your money where your mouth is, and that's exactly what we did. I, I noticed. You know, we at, believed in ourselves and our product. I, I'm looking at uh, some of the stuff on your website here, and I noticed some of the stuff is sold out. You have special, like, Dodgers World Series mugs. You have Cubs and various teams and that sort of stuff. Is there a most popular one for you and um, that, that people are, are going towards? And who is buying these right now? Is it people that want the ultimate man cave? Is it just baseball fans? Or is it just this a crossover of all the sports you know, because it's a cool, unique thing? You know, thing? I'll tell you a secret. You know who's buying our stuff? 
because we do a lot of data. We have a lot of customers. We ask a lot of questions. It's the mom who's 35 to 45 years old. They're buying for their husband that has everything. They're buying for their kid that's graduated. Um, you know, they're buying for their wedding. You know, they're, they're 25 to 30, and they're getting married, and they're looking for groomsmen gifts. Um, and then as of late, just this year, we've gotten deals with uh, Budweiser, Coors Light, Miller Light, Lone Depot, Celsius, Tervis, Coca-Cola, it's corporate gifting. So companies that want to find a really unique gift to give to their employees for sales gifts and things like that. So that we're seeing a lot of traction in that market as well. And, and, and really, I mean, if you talk about the most popular products, we have some amazing limited releases, things we did with Field of Dreams or the Sandlot or, uh, you know, things like that. It's a very limited run. Some things we only release for one week a year. Where's so my Bad News popular. Bears mug? I need a Bad News Bears mug, Quake. Let's go. Where's Kelly? <laughs> Kelly Leak. Where's Buttermaker? It, it, they left it over in Tokyo. Yeah, no, no, that was the bad bit. That was the, the bad <laughs> sequel. That was on again the other night, by the way. <laughs> you have many Hall of Famers, too, that are endorsing this oh, yeah. product. Mariano Rivera, Wade Boggs, Ozzie Smith, Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, that's just naming a, a few. I know, you know, Pete Rose, uh, you guys do a lot of stuff with Pete as, as well, too, one of my old former yeah. cohorts. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about that. It's, and, uh, you know, you probably know the story that. You know, you made one uh, for my boy Dusty Baker when I when I when I when I sent you guys the stuff with that, and, and Dusty loved it as well too. So it's just it, it's great. It's everybody who gets their hands on this or hears about it, they say, "Hey, yeah, I I'll I'll put my yeah, name I'm and in. my face all over it." Yeah, and you know what's crazy is we don't pay for any promotion. Mm-hmm. We have hundreds and hundreds of players, past, present, future. Um, uh, governors, presidents, people have our stuff, and they love our stuff. And it was like I said, we don't we don't ever cut corners. It's all top of the line every time. And and I and you're right. Once people get their hands on it, okay, I get it. This is cool. I like this. Right. And then they and then they want it for their weddings. They want the wives of the players have the kids and they want to get the dad a mug with the kids handprints or footprints or something like that in it you know just commemorative i think that's really what it comes down to and people just dig it you know and we're blessed you mentioned that people are giving you suggestions uh for stuff that they would like or something like that do you take that kind of stuff to heart and is there something that uh, somebody is throwing your way and you're like hey that's a pretty cool idea i think that would be a big seller we always ask questions and we always listen now we don't always take that information and run with it but we listen um, we recently launched a stainless steel product. Um, it, it looks like an aluminum bat, but it's kind of like a Yeti tumbler. Uh, we just launched that on our website. We did. We started pre-sale a couple of weeks ago because people said, "Hey, have something that holds more, has a spill-proof lid, and can be can keep drinks cold for eight hours, or my coffee hot for six hours." Like, so like, okay, we went to the drawing board and we made that happen. Have you tried to get these in Major League Baseball stadiums yet? Yeah, we're in all 30 clubs already. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. So you can actually find these in the stadiums is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can go to dugoutmugs.com and buy them at any time and customize right. them anything right. you want. Right. All the stadiums are in a handful of the minor league clubs, and we're in you know retailers and mom-and-pop shops all over the, all over the country. So. Mm-hmm. It's a great product. It's a great website, dugoutmugs.com. Check it all out. And, again, you'll see uh, a variety of Major League Baseball players, past, present, former, 
that are um, you know endorsing this. And and again, I've I've got a couple myself. Uh, you guys do a fantastic job. The craftsmanship is fantastic, Chris. It's a uh, it, it's great. And uh, you know, next time we get you coming to town here, we'll do a little display and we'll. Uh, We'll be on location. We'll we'll get you out to the Cosmopolitan when we do one of our Friday shows, and that'd be a lot of fun. By the way, I just figured All out right, where, where, yeah. where your Bad News Bears one is. It was at the Astrodome, but you wouldn't pay for the parking. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Take care, Chris. Appreciate it. There he is. Chris, All right, bye. Chris Denner, Dugout Mugs. Go check it out. Uh, it's a great product, dugoutmugs.com. So if you guys want to give gifts, and that's what I have found. It's like you want to give somebody the ultimate gift, especially a sports fan, a baseball fan, you're going to score with a dugout mug. And it could be, if you're a Dodger fan, you have the Dodger logo, you want a specific player, you can go find that. They'll do that. Um, and again, novelty stuff, like the Field of Dreams you know, mug. Yeah, it's, it's great. They, they do not only the, the mugs like that, but they can they do kind of like the wine glass variety as well too, all made out of baseball bats. So I can get a Sammy Sosa wine glass with cork still in it? I'm sure you could, absolutely. <laughs> The cork might be gone, though. <laughs> Sammy took the cork. Uh. All right, so if you could have a dugout mug, what would you want it of? Team, well, person, player, what? Um, I would probably go player, and I would get a an old vintage throwback Willie Mays. Very nice. Very nice. I might be able to arrange that. Very nice. I mean, that would be cool. I like that. Yeah. Willie Mays over Ernie Banks? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My, my, again, yeah, I'm not a Cub great. fan. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. uh, Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, that team. See, you should have been a Northern California guy. You like the Giants. The Giants were my, they were my favorite team growing up. Juan Marichal? Did you like Juan Marichal like I did? I, I liked yeah. Juan Marichal. I liked that whole team. And then I also was a Cardinal fan because my brother Bob was such a big Cubs fan that it gave us a reason to fight. Yeah. <laughs> so Bob Gibson and, you know, Orlando Cepeda, Tito Fuentes, Mike Shannon at third. All those guys, I mean, that, that, that was th- those were my teams when I was younger. I used to wait for the Saturday Major League Baseball game of the week. People now think that you get every game because you can with the baseball package and that. When we were growing up, you didn't get that. Mm-hmm. On the old black and white TV, if the Giants or Cardinals were on, I mean, I got to see the Cardinals a lot because they played the Cubs so much. But if the Giants were on, there was no way I was doing anything else on that Saturday. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. There you go. And Bobby Bonds. Yeah, I love Bobby Bonds. First hit. Grand Slam. Remember hearing it on my dad's transistor radio in the house. Bobby Bonds, Grand Slam. All right, I want to thank uh, Chris Denner, Dugout Mugs, for joining us. Liz Cambage, the Las Vegas Aces Center. Happy birthday to Liz Cambage. Technically, it is tomorrow, but it's already tomorrow in Australia, right? So there you go. She's got like double. And what about Asia? When we had Asia on yesterday, remember she said she won the gold medal on her birthday. She got the double birthday because then she traveled back to the United States. It was still her birthday. Well, there you go. Look at that. So both Las Vegas Aces players have a birthday a week apart, and they had double birthdays. Yeah. But, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of people do celebrate like that. We used to work with a lady, very nice lady in sales, who had her birthday month. Yeah, yes. Well, know, that's so- Dennis Rodman had the birthday month, too. Yeah. yeah, it started out as a birthday weekend coming to Vegas, then it turned to a week, and then the month. So, yeah. All right, Nico Alley Walsh, Liz Cambage, Chris Denner, appreciate uh, them for joining us. We're back at it again tomorrow, and we get ready for Pacquiao against Yugos coming up Saturday night at T-Mobile Arena, too. So we start talking boxing this week uh, as well, too. All right, miss any part of the show? Go to the website. Check it all out, tcmartinshow.com. We reconvene tomorrow at 2. What's that?